Welcome to the Meet Musings Podcast, the show where we talk about different issues and disabilities that affect people emotionally, psychologically, physically and mentally. We discuss health and well-being generally. We are amplifying the voices of people living with disabilities and limitations and breaking the stigmas. Our podcast is available on Podbean, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Amazon Podcast, Tune in in Alexa, Twitter, YouTube and Facebook. We are also available on Listen Note, Radio Public and iHeartRadio. Just search Meet Musings Podcast on any social media platform. Welcome! Hi guys, welcome to the Meet Musings Podcast. In this series, we are discussing sickle cell disorder, a disorder that affects over 4.5 million people worldwide. With me today is Nike Ajene. She is a lone parent. My guest is a mother to three children, one of them a young man living with sickle cell disorder. So welcome to the Meet Musings podcast. Can you introduce yourself? My name is Nike. Uh, I'm Nike Ajene. And uh, like you said, I'm a mother to a son living with sickle cell. Thank you for that introduction. How has that been? Oh, well, it's been an experience. How long has your son been diagnosed with sickle cell? My son has been living with sickle cell now for over 18 years. Yeah, so it's been uh, it's been an experience. Yeah, it's been interesting. <laughs> In <laughs> I can ways. imagine. <laughs> yeah. Do you have other children? Yeah, three. I have three kids. It's the middle one that's got sickle cell. The oldest one hasn't, and the youngest one hasn't got um, sickle cell. So I've got three kids, two boys and a girl. Oh. So two are boys, and the last one is a girl. How do they feel about their brother when he has a sickle cell crisis? You know, it's, it's been a mixed, um, I think it's been mixed feelings for them over the years. The, the, the feelings have changed over the years. I think when they were very young, you know, as children, I think it kind of frightened, it used to frighten them because, you know, they were kids themselves. They didn't, they couldn't understand why their brother was in so much pain and, and crying and things like that. What impact did that have on his siblings? I think initially for other siblings, they can be quite frightened initially. Then after a while, the guy used to it. The guy used to seeing their brothers like that. It, it's funny because I think my son and my daughter have reacted really differently. I don't know whether it's because of just the fact that they're, they're the opposite set, you know, and men and women react to things differently. Uh, so I don't know if that has been the case, but my, at a point, I think my older son kind of switched off. I think it was just too much for him. And because, you know, our family has been exposed, exposed to sickle cell for years, so it hasn't just been about my son. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, I have nephews with sickle cell, you know, oh. and uh, I have a nephew living with sickle cell that is, uh, had a stroke uh, when it was just about, I think he must have been about 10. And it was a really, really bad one that he never recovered from that kind of left him like in a vegetable state. So he can't do anything for himself. And I've got, and I've lost a nephew to sickle cell that my older son used to be very, very close to. I've, I've also lost a half-brother to sickle cell, by the way. Your half-brother? So, yes. So oh, It must be both of your parents have sickle cell trait. 
it's interesting you say that because my mom and my dad, they have seven of us. And uh, my dad, we've always known that my dad is AS, which is why um, I and two of my other siblings are AS. Okay. And we've always assumed my, that my mom is AA. But my mom had, uh, she had to add, have an operation last day. And, and you discovered she is AS. <laughs> so my mom discovered that she's eight as at uh, at uh, she eighty. No, but it was sixty nine. That was that was a shock. It was, yeah, it was because there's no way a child would have SS traits if no, both parents don't have the half brother. No, that was my half brother, not my full brother. Mm. That was my half brother from my dad. And we've always known my dad is ears. So it was like, oh, yes. Yeah, so, well, his mother must have had ears. And, and that's it. And because none of us, the seven of us, have uh, SS. So we've always just assumed my, that my mom is A. So she had to go for an operation last year, you know, a, a hip operation. And uh, she, she went for the operation down south, near London. The test came up saying she was ears. And we're all in shock. <laughs> you know, it was like, <laughs> and so she, she's like, I can't believe I had seven children and none were SS. Oh, so your mom, mom said that. And she's, she must be lucky. It just baffles the mind. Ex- extremely lucky. I don't know. I've always thought, I just don't know. I, because she's never even suspected that she could be AS, you know? <laughs> so that was a real shock. So in any case, I've known about sickle cell all my life or basically most of my life because of uh, these things I've said of my nephew. Yes. So I think with having lost my nephew at about when he was about 16 or thereabouts, and my older son was very, very close to him. How did that affect his relationship with his siblings? I think it kind of shut off after that. So it's been kind of shut off from sickle cell in a while. If his brother is ill and in hospital, he won't show up. So I think it's, it's getting over it now. But I think that was that was a shock for him. You know, he never expected to lose his, his cousin. Oh. And to have to lose his cousin, I think, in some ways for a child, because he was about, I don't know, he was about 11 then or something or thereabouts. So mm. I think for a child, he must have thought, that's the same thing my brother has. That sticks in his head for some reason. Yeah. So I think it's, it's affected him that way. The younger sister has been, she's been real supportive and and, uh, and because she was younger anyway. So a lot of times I just used to drag her along. <laughs> she, did, she, did, she didn't For have moral any, support. No, she didn't have a choice because, uh, you know, we've been in this country. You can't leave a child alone at home. Going into hospital or anything, I just dragged her along, you know. <laughs> and in, in retrospect, I don't think that was really good for her as well. You know, having a child on the word, seeing the things she's saying as, mm. as that, at that age. And, and you know, when you go into RMCH in Manchester, it's not just for sickle cell. There's also cancer. There's, yeah. you know, there's all you sorts can, of yeah. things. Yeah. So I, I don't think in retrospect, thinking about it now, I don't think that was a really good thing to expose a child to that early as well. Mm. I think she saw too much as a child. Tell us about your experience as a mother to a child with sickle cell disorder. So I think with parents of people with sickle cell, when you've got other siblings, finding that balance can be quite hard. Can be. It can be quite hard, especially when you're alone in this country and you haven't really got help. So there's nowhere to drop off 
your kids, yeah. Your kids, and I have to take them along and they see all these things done to their brother. They see their brother crying in pain and in agony, and they see all these tears and all these needles, and they also get to see things happening on the world with other kids and, and different kids screaming and things. So when I think back on it now, I think, yes, that has also had an adverse effect on her in some ways. I think it's just something for parents who have sickle cell children to think about. You know, that how do we balance the needs of the child who hasn't got sickle cell with the needs of the child that has? Yeah. So that is one thing I wish somebody could have told me earlier, you know, um, to say, think about it because you tend to get all focused on the child with sickle cell. Yeah. Uh, and all your attention is there and you give them more your attention. Do you think parents do this consciously to their kids? Or is it just down to parental instinct to help a sick child? You don't do it consciously. It's just they need more, you know. More, they, they need get, more they, help. They're in pain. Exactly. They're in pain and you have to get them to the hospital. And sometimes... You don't take that time to think, oh, what do I do with this one? I think it's more about getting the balance right in a way that meets the needs and requirements for each child. Like I said, if, if you haven't got help, you know, it's not really your fault. There's really nothing much you can do about it. Do you have any support system in place? One of the things that I found out later that I wish somebody had also told me was we could have made a demand on social services to say, I need help. Is there a way just to keep this child out of the situation and things like that? But those were the things that I didn't know, you know, that I could ask. Coupled also with the fact that a lot of our people are suspicious of social services anyway, because you are thinking if I keep calling on them, would they start putting their mouth in my business? Yeah, yeah but like it's that. about getting help. It's about you asking for help about yes. your child's welfare. It's exactly. not you risking that child. You're not putting the child at risk by asking for yes. help. Yes, which is true. But like I said, we haven't had the best relationship. You know, our people haven't had the best relationship with, with social workers. So you tend to get suspicious of them as well. And you think of these things that am I opening myself up to danger here you know if I keep asking for help from social services it also depends on the council in which you live I used to live in Bolton and now live in um, Suffolk Council and I've seen a massive difference in the care in the care it's just things that I used to really fight for is the care system in in Salford is it better than Bolton I think it is because well, I moved, I, I just moved this year and I moved just shortly before the pandemic. So in some ways, I'm also conscious of the fact that as that had an effect on the care, because mm-hmm. now, you know, there's the thing about shielding and letters coming, going out and everybody's yeah. been on edge. In some ways, I can't fully evaluate the difference now because I'm thinking if I stayed in Bolton, would they have been more, would they have suddenly become more caring as well because of the pandemic? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. How long did you live in Bolton before you moved to Salford? I lived in Bolton for 12 years. And in the 12 years, I tried everything I could think of to get social services to help with my son's care. What resources are available for you both in terms of care and support? 
I tried to do things like, you know, to get an, an OT, an occupational therapist to come evaluate him because somebody suggested that. And I never got anywhere. Two social services came to my house once. This was about six or seven years ago. They came in. It, it was in school. They came in. They looked around, asked me a few questions, whatever. They said, oh, we'll get back to you. They never did. I couldn't even remember their name. So because at that time, Bolton Council was setting up a register. I can't remember what they called the register, but basically it was to register all the kids that had disabilities in the council, mm. you know, so that they could help with care and, and to see what the child, each child needs. And they didn't do anything. And I remember somebody telling me and saying, well, they must have come and assessed you and thought, oh, your child is not in danger, so why bother? And But they never did. Well, should that be, really? After they take all your details, after they, yeah, they come did. for the assessment? And they never did. And when I was having challenges with school and things for my son, I called Bolton Council and I said, oh, well, it should be on this list. I can't remember what the list was called. And I said, well, my son should be on this list. They said, oh, no, it's not on the list. And I said, are you joking? Well, two of your social workers came to my house. They said, no, there was, there's no record. Did you ever have records of social services coming to my house? No. no Where record. did the record go? I don't know. If not that, the, the ladies that came, one of them sent me an email initially to book the appointment. There would have been absolutely no record. And that was what I emailed back to the lady who spoke to me and said, look at this email. These are the names. They, 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 that was when I realized there was actually a name on the email. I said, this is the name of the lady who emailed me and said she was going to put my son on that record. And they came to my house. So what happened? How come there's not, there was no record? My, my son had, uh, he, he had a vascular necrosis and he was struggling. And one of the nurses, I said, get an OT to come to the, to the house and do an assessment to see what he needs. You might be able to get help with things like putting in things for his, in the bath, maybe something to help him get upstairs and things like that. And I called Bolton Cancer and they gave me the run around for about four years and did nothing until I gave up. I just gave up. How did that make you feel? I was like, I can't deal with this anymore. In the meantime, I just got everything. I just paid for everything myself. So when your son was yeah. younger, Yes. Did you have to take time off work to care yes. for him? Oh, I did many times, many times. And I've had to leave, leave jobs because of that. I remember when he was really, really young, I was only working part-time. I made the decision that I would rather manage with whatever little money I have and have that time than work full-time and not have the time. And because I've been a lone parent since I've been in this country, I've been on my own with the kids. I've got three kids and I've been on my own with them now for about 16 years. When my son was very young, I just said, Do you know what? I'm just going to work part-time. Why did you decide to go part-time? Because that would give me time to pay attention to my kids and pay attention, especially to the one with the sickle cell. Uh, so I was working part-time. So I used to go, I used to do this job where I was working just nine to one every day because I just thought that would give me time to drop them off in school, go to work. And before the finish at three, I'm done, I'm finished. I was working 20 hours a week because I was working 20 hours a week. That also helped with things like working tax credit and uh, try tax credit. I don't know if you know about this country, if you work less than 16 hours a week, you don't get any of that. Yeah. So, so I chose to work 20 hours a week. And in those days, it was 
a lot more better. You know, working task trades and things like that, they were a lot more supportive than, than you have it now. So I decided to work 20 hours a week. And I remember at that time, my job sent... How were you able to manage on your own with 20 hours a week of work? Yeah. (laughs) And having three kids, I suppose you have to pay for your rent. You have to pay your bills out of that. Like I said, I got working tax credit. But but, but that's the... the, the, I was fortunate in in the sense that I could apply for things like that. And I understand that there are, there are mothers out there who don't have access to things like that. Because I was working 20 hours a week, I got child tax credit and I got help with housing benefits okay. and, and council tax benefits. Okay. So basically, I got help with those things. But that is, was still tough because it means that I didn't have much extra for anything. My job was, was basically uh, at that time, if you want to work, and, and that's one of the things that a lot of sickle cell, I think sickle cell parents struggle with because if you're working part-time and things like that, you, you tend to get jobs at minimum wages. You don't mm-hmm. get really good jobs. So you don't want to go through a career, so to say. Exactly. You can't. You can't because if you do part-time, it affects your career. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a qualified engineer, but I couldn't do anything like that at that point. I was working basically a minimum wage. I was working with child support agency and I was just doing part-time, 20 hours. But the interesting thing was, and, and that also, because like I said, I go to work at nine, at nine by one I'm finished. So it means that the days it was in school, that was perfect. But if it wasn't in school and it was ill, I had to take time off work. How often was that? Were you ever penalized for taking time off work to care for him? I remember it got to a point at work, I was told that I was taking off too much time and I was going to face disciplinary. <laughs> and mind you, this was a job that when you didn't, when I didn't turn up, I didn't get paid. So it's not like some jobs where you can take leave or you say you're applying for your leave. I just didn't get paid. They don't pay you, do, you know. Don't you think it's because the your organization do not understand how sickle cell impacts on you if no, your child is no. sick with sickle cell? No, they, they didn't. This was 16, 18 years ago. So no, they didn't. I had to, as late in time as 2008 to 2016, I kept educating my employers about sickle cell. Anytime I'm in crisis, they don't even understand that being in crisis means you cannot do some things. You yes. don't even want to get out of, you can't even get out of bed. That's, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I had problems with work uh, in the sense that I was getting disciplinary where it was like you're taking too much time off work for your son. And mind you, this was a part-time job. So the days I didn't go in, they didn't pay me. You could also do a kind of flex, they would say. So if I was supposed to go in on Thursday and I had to take time off because of my son, I could go in, I could, I could change with somebody else and go in on a Saturday or even on a Sunday. Uh, no, there was no Sunday or the Saturday, which was... Something a lot of people hated. A lot of people didn't like coming into work on Saturday. Yeah. Or I would volunteer to go in on a Saturday if, or, or maybe on a day where he had to go in for blood tests or something. I would, I would change somebody else. I was getting all this, you're going to get disciplined. So that was why I decided I was going to be trained as a teacher. And I went in and did my PGD and I got my teaching certificate to teach mathematics in uh, colleges and further education and adult learning. How did you get on with that? I soon found out that the life of a teacher was not an easy one. (laughs) (laughs) 
you have to plan lessons. There's so much work to do after school is over, you know, after college is over. It was tough. But the good thing about it is my, my manager, I think she also had a child with a disability, so she was quite understanding. And she would let me do my planning and everything from home. But that wasn't as nice as you think it was. Not everybody gets that, that same opportunity to have a career change or even no, no. have a exactly. manager that understands so, yes, your condition. Exactly. So I'm, I'm so grateful to God because I've been very fortunate in some places. But that also meant that when I was at home, I didn't really pay attention to the kids. And they used to complain and say, mom, you're always working. And it's hard. it was hard to explain to young children that, yeah, but I'm still working just because I'm at home. I'm still working because my manager has allowed me to come to my lesson planning and marking and things from home. Just coming to college and teach at your actual classes and do a few things so you can go home and do the rest. So that was hard on the kids as well. But that was, that was easier. And now because I had like a full-time job, a permanent job, the days my son had to go into hospital because he was ill, I could take leave. I could just apply for leave. And that is one thing now I have done for years now. I don't take leave at work like other people. Like you say, no more people take leave. I keep my leave for emergencies in case I need it. Because of your child. Because of my child. And, and that's what I do. Because that is so much easier than saying, oh, can I have time off? Because the legislation says you can't be denied annual leave. So it's much easier to just say, I'm applying for annual leave. And I know a lot of people say, well, that is not very fair because people get annual leave and go on holidays and whatever. But so you that means you forfeit your holidays. Exactly. Don't get me wrong. There have been years that I've been good, that I haven't used up all my no, annual leave. You, you really hospitals. should not have to forfeit yeah. your holidays because yeah. of your child or because the child happens. has sickle cell. But that's what happens. That's that's what happens. That's, that's exactly the point here. Yeah, that's what happens. You know, that's that's what parents with sickle cell children have to face. I think it was in 2009. Uh, was it in 2009? What year are we now? No, not 2009. It must have been about 2016 or thereabouts. My son got developed AV, uh, vascular necrosis. How bad was that? Did he need hospitalization? How long for? That year was tough. It was really, really tough. I stopped working completely. I had to, I resigned and I became a full-time carer. Fortunately for me, it was, I'm trying to be very sure about the year, but it was in year nine in school. So of course the older one was now in college. So that made my life so much easier. And the younger one was in primary six, I think. So it wasn't as bad as when they were very, very young. And but it developed a vascular necrosis. And that year was really, really tough. How did that particular illness affect him? It got so bad that it couldn't walk. So the NHS had to give us a wheelchair. Wow. You know, it, it was just a tough year. It was a tough year. I just couldn't walk that year. So I had to resign. That year, it was practically at home. It missed so much of that school year. In fact, he went on to miss most of years 10 and 11 as well because he had a really bad those three years. And that must have affected his grades at the end of the day. It did. It did. It did. Because he was hardly ever in school. In fact, I, I looked at his attendance register for years 10 and 11, and I think he was in school for about 30% of the time. It was really tough. And 
Finally, did they give him extra time or did they nothing. make up for him? Do you know what? We learn lessons from this thing. If I'm talking to somebody with a sickle cell child now who develops the same thing, I would know what to say to them. I grew up in Nigeria. In Nigeria, when your teacher says something, it's like, well, like we would say, they're like the second to gods. You just <laughs> automatically believe everything they tell you and you respect them and whatever. And, and I think that affected how I handled some of those things. When it started AV and it wasn't going to school, I actually went into school and I spoke to them and they said, oh, okay. So we had an agreement where they said, we will send all his work home by email so that he can work on them. How did he cope with that? What effect did that have on you and the children? For some reason, it never occurred to me to say, you're sending a child work by email. Is he supposed to teach himself? After everything occurred to me, it just did not occur to me at that moment because, and I think, you know, yeah, I am, I'm a lone parent. I've got a child is ill. I've got two other children. There's so many things going on and you are just not in the frame of mind to think clearly because you have all these things that you're combating. I realized that I wasn't thinking very clearly because I was so worried about my son. And that is another thing. A lot of us don't think about the mental, the impact on our mental health. And how we reason and things like that. Those are not things you think about. And I just said, okay. So they will send some bits of work to him at home. And when he's not in pain or when he can sit up in bed, he will have a look at these things. How did he get through the homework? This was a year nine child who is about 13, 14. You can't teach yourself maths and physics and... No. And the biology and whatever else it does, you can't teach yourself at home. But that just, for some reason, that just didn't occur to me. And then on the days he could go to school, it, of course, he could, could no longer climb the steps to his classes. So they would say, okay, you sit in the library on the ground floor. We get your teachers to send work down to you. And my son would say, they'll put him in the, in the library and they'll forget him there. Those sitting in the library differ from him sitting at home and getting that work sent to him. Thank you. But even at that, they will leave him in the library and forget him there. No work will be sent to him. So he would just sit there, nothing. They were supposed to get him. He would have thought they would get him like a teaching assistant to sit with him and explain things. Nothing, nothing. And this is a child that has missed days and months of class attendance. In essence... He pushes himself to physically be in school and still doesn't get anything done. Yes. And they were just living there. But he would want to go to school and he would say, I'm going, mom. You know, he forced himself on some days and they would just forget him there. And so he kept missing and, and missing. And finally, I think I complained once because I went in, I spoke to the special uh, educational need, uh, uh, teacher, whatever, in school. And she said, oh, uh, we haven't got the funding for him to apply for things like that. He can't have a, a, a personal assistant because, the, because it's just a medical need he has. And, and as long as that has been handled. In all this, how did you feel? Do you know the kind of frustration I went through? Nothing was being done. And finally, I said, can you apply? I practically pushed them. Can you apply for EHCP for my son? So that if we can get some funding, that we can get extra help for him. They said, okay, they wouldn't do this application. They kept turning, going around, turning me around in circles. Did you and try going through the GP for him? 
what that was the funny thing my son never goes to the gps we have a gp but my son never goes to the gps why is that because uh, we were living in bolton and his doctor in manchester made um, an agreement with one of the pediatricians in Bolton so that I could go, go into Bolton for his blood tests and things like that so that I didn't have to drive to Manchester all the time okay and this doctor Dr. Watson she was a brilliant brilliant doctor she was a really nice doctor so she gave him open access to the world in Bolton so yeah. anytime he was feeling ill or whatever we just used to go straight to the world and so because of that he never used to go to the GPs he would just go straight to the world and if it was something that they wouldn't admit him or whatever for they would treat him, talk to him. It was okay. If he wants to, he could rest for 24 hours and then go home. And so because of this, I never really took him to the GPs. And also because a few times I would try to book an appointment for the GP. They never used to have appointments. They'd be like, oh, no, we don't have appointments today. Do you want to call in two, three days or something? That's another thing. Because when so you're like, in crisis, you need critical care. After that, I was like, what's the point of going to the GPs? Because if you're even in crisis, what will a GP do for you anyway? There's no point. So I just used to bypass the GP. And a few times I've gone in for, you know, little things like, oh, he's coughing. Yeah, and, and, and I'll say, oh, I've just brought him in because I just want you to listen to his chest. Because mm-hmm. there's no point going to the hospital if he's okay. But I'm not a doctor, so I can't listen to his chest. But can you please listen to his chest? Because I used to be so scared of him having, because he's had a few chest crises. That can be scary. Having chest crisis is quite complicated for anyone living with sickle cell. Well, so when it's having cold and things, I just want to like, please listen to his chest for me. And when I take him to the GPs and the GP will be like, if that is the case, I think you should just go to the doctors. So I just said to myself, what's the point of GP, you know? So that was that. We stopped going to the GPs. So we just go straight to the hospital now. How did he progress from sitting in the library with nothing to work on. So one of the doctors in Manchester stepped in finally and said, I referred him to a school in Bolton. It's called the Park School, which is for, I never knew about it until the doctor referred him. But apparently that is the school for children with disability in Bolton. Oh. You know, if you have a disability, you go to Park School. But <laughs> this was another frustration for me. Was it accepted at the Park School eventually? It was accepted. It was accepted at Park School. But I found out, and my son didn't tell me on time, because what they do with their Park School is they said, okay, if you've missed so much of school, instead of you leaving school with no qualification, you can come into Park School to do uh, level two maths and English. At least okay. you can leave school with those two qualifications. Because at the end of the day, when you want to go into uni or whatever, they always ask for maths and English anyway. But my frustration with Park School was he went to Park School and for some reason, the tutors in Park School thought he had a learning disability. If you see me so moving, there's a miscommunication between the referral and the school? No, it, it, it says on there, okay, I, I think where the miscommunication came from was the fact that because of the AV and he was missing so much of school, actually we discussed it recently, said I lost all my friends because... He was no longer going to school. So he lost all his friends. Uh, he was in, in the house most times. And then they wanted him to go into park school fully. But he refused and said, no, I'm not going into, I'm not becoming a full-time student of park school. Definitely. When we're talking last week, I'm in a battle with his college at the moment because of this GCSE thing. 
How did he get on with his GCSE? He, he couldn't really do much GCSE because mm. of the three years he missed school. So he's gone into college and he's supposed to do GCSEs before he graduates. So what resources are available to your son at the college? Just like secondary school, they are not offering much support as well. He still doesn't have a, a personal tutor. They expect him to turn up to pick up classes at 7 p.m., which he can manage. And so many things like that. So that's another battle now that I'm currently in. Like I say all the time, sickle cell is not a one-size-fits-all kind of illness. Each person needs to have a personal care plan, one that works for me would necessarily not work for your son. For his education, I think he needs more support than people living with sickle cell in this category. He has a lot of complications going on. I just think it's been very, very unfair to people with sickle cell. It, they were taking him through because they were supposed to be taking him through a level two maths and English. But like I said, because of being at home and not being able to mix with his friends, and being constantly in pain, he got a bit depressed. Okay. So the doctor, the pediatric doctor I mentioned before, Dr. Watson, she noticed that even before I did, and she said, oh, he needs to go to camps. So she made a referral for him to go to camps just to have some counseling and talk to somebody about how the pain is affecting him and things like that. Yeah. So I think because it was referred to camps, you know, you know what camps is? Um, yeah. C-A-H-M-S. Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, because it was referred there, I think that gave the people at the park school the impression that he had mental health and learning disability issues. I think they kind of started treating him that way. It wasn't until a while later I learned that they were putting him through things like entry level one, level two, mad, and taking it so slowly because by the time I found out, because, you know, my son is very, very reserved, reserved and private persons. And he doesn't, so he talk. doesn't really talk about how things yeah. are affecting him. Exactly. So by the time I found out, it was pretty much late in the game. And the school, I didn't support him as they should as well. So I went ahead and I applied for EM because I got so tired of the whole thing. Mm. So I went ahead and applied for EHCP myself. But it came back rejected. And... I did ask for a feedback and I said, I want to know why it was rejected. So the EHCP people called me to a meeting and they told me very clearly, they said they agreed to meet with me because I'm a parent, that if it had been the school, they wouldn't have even agreed to see them. And the lady said to me, she said, I've gone through your files and I'll tell you now, your son's school failed him. Wow. She said they failed him. She said there is absolutely no evidence of support and that Unfortunately, EHCP can't put in more money or support when the school hasn't shown how they have supported a kid in the first place. Because the EHCP is an additional is additional funding. The school needs to show that they've supported the student and Up the to a certain degree. Exactly. That they need to show that they have spent at least six thousand pounds on him, is what they told me. And that that this child needs more support. And because they have absolutely no record of support for my son, which the EHCP person told me was astounding, that they were sure. What exactly have they been doing for the past three years? 
And she told me that if I wanted, I could write a letter of complaint. I should put in a complaint against the school. No. But at this point, all this happened about two weeks. It was supposed to leave secondary school. I'd already started. So I said, well, there's no point. Because what do I want to start dragging with him now? Do you understand? That I wish somebody had told me all this a year, two years ago, then, you know, something could have been done, but it was already too late. And I said, okay, I'll leave it. It's going into college. I would leave it. When it goes into college, I will apply. Went into college and I, I will tell you this because I'm saying this so that other parents can learn from this and can know what to expect and put things in place that I didn't know to put in place. So it went into college. College told me, they sent me a letter. They actually sent me a letter about four weeks before registration said that it cannot register college. Why is that? Because that they've read the letter I've written. It has additional needs and they have no funding for it. Wow. So can I please apply to another college? <laughs> so they rejected him from college. What? That should be considered as discrimination against him. That was what they told me. I just threw the letter away. I threw the letter away because I was like... That, that must have been upsetting to you and to him. It was. And to make the matters worse, this person who sent me the letter went on leave. The very next day, they sent me the letter. So I couldn't even go, get back Reach to them. them. And they were on leave up until when registration started. So I just threw away the letter and I said, that is the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen in my life. Register him where? The college, this college, Bolton College, was very close to my house. Yeah. It was just about 10 minutes away from my house, which would have made life so easy for him. There's no other college in Bolton, apart from Bolton College, apart from, and he couldn't do A-levels because of the way the result, because he couldn't do GCSEs. So it was starting from level two in college. You know, it was starting from level two BTEC. Where would I have registered him? And she made this suggestion about maybe I should look at Sulphur College. And I'm thinking, are you crazy? So how is he supposed to be getting to Sulphur College? Anyway, I threw away the letter, to be honest with you. And I went in and I registered him. And I was so fortunate that she forgot to put anything against his name. So I went in and I registered him. And then she came back on leave and found out he had registered. And then she said, she sent an email saying, why did I register him after she told me that they couldn't register him? And I said, well, I'm sorry that I'm going to register my son. That Do you expect him to stay home for the next one year? Or what do you expect? Because he can't go to any other college. She said, oh, I could have gone to the different schools. The schools have colleges. And I said, well, most schools have B-Tech, yes. But there's no point. This is the college that is most suitable for him. So we had an argument about that. And then she said, she said, well, I've put her in an awkward position because if she tells him to withdraw now, it's going to affect the child because he's already registered. So she would let it go because it was a fault. She should have put something on his name so that it, it, they wouldn't have been able to register him. Put a red flag on me. On a him. red flag on his name, you know. And that was how, that was, the, that was the fortunate thing. And I thank God for that because she forgot to do that. So he got registered. And then she said, well, we haven't got funding for him this year. Uh, I'm not sure we'll be able to support him. And I said, do you know what? That's okay. That's okay, but I would rather he be in college because he's already feeling down and a bit depressed 
because he's missed so much of school and he's at home, he's lost all his friends. Yeah. And the camps lady said, you need to get him out of the house. This is what is causing the depression, get out there. So I said, well, he needs to go to college and he's not staying at home. So I put him in college and, and she said, okay, we have to apply for EHCP immediately so that uh, he can get EHCP. And I said, yes, that's what I would like. So we applied for EHCP. And because my son was also, also complaining about some things, which sounded a bit like dyslexia, they got an educational psychologist to come as, assess him. But she said that he's okay, hasn't got dyslexia, but it just that she can see that the pain affects his learning and things like that. So she made some recommendations. So she said on assessing him that when he's in pain, that the pain affects his short-term memory. Apparently, she she went into his class a couple of days to monitor him over a couple of days. And she said she noticed that when he's in pain, it affects his short-term memories, that it, it, she, it tends to forget things immediately. And she said that, that affects his memory. And so she made some recommendations at, at how he can be supported by that. She said, for example, when teachers are talking and is in a bit of pain, he needs somebody to break down things for him or to write it down for him so that later he can go he back can to read. it and things like that. So they said, oh, does he want a class support tutor? My son, to be honest, my son said, no, I don't want anybody following me around. I don't want a, a, an in-class support tutor. I don't want to look weird because you know how mm -hmm. students are, it's the time. When you have a teaching assistant sitting by you, people just assume you're stupid. Mm -hmm. said, I, I don't want anybody. I don't want anybody following me around and doing that. And I said, okay, if you can get somebody to, you can come see somebody one-to-one -to, -one to help him with his work and whatever that would be better but apparently i don't know whether college doesn't have that or because he didn't have the funding in place it couldn't do that for him so anyway this is his third year in, in bolting college because he's done the year two he's done the first year of year three and is in second year of year, year uh, second year of year three now of big ten level three it's amazing because he's passed his english but he's had barely any support for his maths he was supposed to do the math GCSE again this year because the first year he had a crisis the money of maths uh, GCSE uh -oh. the and anxiety everything. and all yes. that triggers yeah. sickle cell crisis as well exactly so it went in but if insisted in going in the EHCP person said oh well then he didn't get EHCP again because the EHCP guy came and said the same thing but college is not supporting him so they can't put in extra money college needs to show that it supported him and they claimed that, well, they couldn't really provide any support because my son is rejecting support. But that is because the support they are providing is not what he needs. If you're forcing somebody to take support that he needs, it's not what he needs. So no EHCP for him, no extra money. Basically, college isn't too interested in supporting him. They claim they don't have the money to support him because he couldn't get an EHCP. How is your son coping now? As your son having sickle cell, impacted on his education and the grades he has so basically we've, we've been managing by ourselves and uh, this last gcse as we all know it was cancelled and this is where i as a parent now i'm really mad i'm really angry because it was cancelled and they gave him a predictive grade of three which is a fail and i said how did you arrive at this grade this boy got a three in secondary school when he hadn't even been in college for almost three years. He sat the exam and got a three. That is to show you that 
he has some knowledge of math. So if you support him, like the English teacher has supported him, with the English, he got a C. Was that for this year's GCSE? That was in last year, not this one that was cancelled. And if you support him very well, he will get the same thing in maths. It's not stupid. And they came back to me and said, the prediction was based on your participation and class attendance. And I said, that is well, the class attendance is affected by crisis. Exactly. And I said, that discriminates against my son because if he's hardly in class or when he's in class because he's in pain, he's just sat at the back struggling and he's not really participating or getting involved. So according to you, that means he doesn't know anything and you've just written him off. I said, that is what you have done. You have written him off because he's not as boisterous as other people in class. He doesn't talk much. He just sits behind quietly listening to what you're saying. And a lot of the time, he's not in school. When COVID started, the, the week after COVID started, he had a chest crisis and he went into ICU. He was in hospital for 10 days, you know, at the start of COVID. And I was so worried because he was in an ICU filled with COVID patients. All that was and it was quite on, scary that time. Exactly. And all that was going on. So apparently this teacher had put on mock exams for students to do. My son was in ICU. I couldn't get into his college emails and whatever. You know, I forgot to take the password of him. I couldn't get in there. So by the time he came back after 10 days from hospital, about a week after that or more, he was still trying to get himself. Was He was finally able to say, let me log on and see what is happening. He found this uh, test that had been set up. He found that he was supposed to have done all these tests. He tried doing them. He had been locked out of them apart from two because they had expired. So he emailed his teacher and said, do you know what? I've been in hospital. I've just come back and I found all these tests. I couldn't do them. And she said, oh, just do what you can do then. Just do whatever is left. So he did only two. So apparently... Those are the two that were still in date. Indeed. So apparently, because he did only two, they weren't enough. So even though he did those two, and immediately the computer told me you're working at level five, it was discarded. Because as far as they're concerned... Because he didn't do the previous assessments. Exactly. He didn't do all the others. And I'm thinking... Because he couldn't. He emailed you. He's in hospital. Was he supposed to have done this test from hospital in ICU? So I just said, this discriminates against my son. So I wrote them and I appealed the exam on his behalf. I helped him to appeal the exam. They came back. That was when they came back and told me this nonsense about, oh, well, it was based on your class participation and things like that. Right now, I have written to I have sent this appeal, I've written, and then we got an, into argument with the college about they're not being able to, not supporting my son. And they claim that they have been, that no, they, they've done all the support. Uh, they gave him a lift pass. They, they gave him time in class, extra time for his, uh, his exams, and he can get out of class to, to use the toilet to stretch his legs. And- the question we should be asking at this stage is, Were those adjustments made for him reasonable and adequate for his needs? I don't care. That is good. Fine. You've done that. That that is class-related activities. But this is a boy that was in ICU. How does that help him to pass an exam? 
you don't supporting him you're not teaching him it, when he's been ill when he's been ill and he hasn't been in college and he goes back nobody actually sits him down to say this is what we've learned while you were away and teach him the basic principles they just carry on and i used to be a math teacher and i know you cannot teach somebody math if he doesn't know the basic principles of math i know that for a fact because I was a math teacher. You, you, have, you build on principles in math. If I haven't taught you how to do division, and then I suddenly give you fraction work or whatever, you're just going to sit down there confused because you, you, you haven't taught the basic principles. And I've been saying all this, but they claim, oh, they've been supporting me, blah, blah, blah. And the lady, the support tutor, was even quite rude, telling my son and saying, well, it was his fault that he wasn't matured enough. I've got emails saying that. That obviously wasn't matured enough. And saying that, oh, they tried to help him, he walked away. And my son replied and said, that is not possible. I'm not a rude person. If a teacher comes to me and said, I'm here to help you, I will walk away. And, and I think this needs to be raised with the education authority. As I'm talking to you now, because I was so angry, I sent him for an FOI saying, I won't know how other disabled, other students with disability were marked, one, I want to know how they were assessed. Let me know whether, and I want to know how other people of Black ethnic minorities were assessed. I want to know whether this is just a, a discrimination against his disability or a discrimination against his ethnicity or a combination of both. And they haven't answered me. I don't know how long the response time for freedom of information requests are, but I do know they take quite a while to respond. The FOI expired last week. So on Monday morning, I am going to be forwarding this to the ICO and I'm going to be forwarding it to Ofsted and the people who, who monitor uh, further education because I think this is just not acceptable. What date so, was the expiry date of the FOI? It was the, the Friday before the last. And then I emailed them again to say, why have you not answered me? And I've given them another week and they haven't come back to me. So on Monday, I am going to be, or to, on Monday, I'm going to be sending out these emails to ICO and the rest. And I just want parents of people with sickle cell to be aware of that. Schools, you need to be very firm with schools. Those were the mistakes I made. Because when he was in secondary school, I should have insisted and said, you need to get him a, a, a teaching assistant or something. You need to get him. You can't send work home. You know, if you're sending work home with a child, are you saying the child should teach him or herself? How does a child teach him or herself physics and chemistry or geography or whatever at that age? It's not that you've taught them already and you're telling them to go read up. You haven't taught them at all. They can't do that by themselves. So for me now, I have registered him with a private for private tutoring for math because I told the college plain, I said, I'm sorry, but I do not trust you. I can't trust you with my son's edu uh, uh, GCSE education anymore. And the funny thing is that the main course is doing is doing so well on that because the teachers on that course have been really good. They call him. So now that there's COVID, one of the things is agreed with them is that he's become a home uh, student, online student. So mm. everything is done online with him now for his yes. main course. But that is because the teachers on that main course have been so good. They set him up on Teams and online. They call him once a week to explain things to him. And, you know, it's still not perfect. Yeah, he emails to say, it's I can't understand It's better than the support this. he had from the previous tutors. Exactly. 
So if he says, you know, I can't understand this, what am I supposed to do? Sometimes they don't get back to him for a week or for a week or more or whatever. But at least it, it it's not. That's one way this COVID outbreak has benefited a lot of people. It's not just sickle-style sufferers or people with disabilities alone. People are working from home and from the convenience of their houses and they don't have to even get out of their house. They don't have to leave the comfort of their house. So with this COVID outbreak, yeah. how has the care given to your son changed? It's been basically the same, really. It's doctor's appointment now are by phone. The telephone consultations. So it's been shielding since March and he hasn't been out of the house except for medical appointments and things like that. That has been okay. But when it comes to maths, GCSE maths, I've just realized that the college can't help him. So now I've registered him for private tutoring to get him to... At to, your own to, expense, right? At my own expense, yes. At my own expense. I, at my own expense. Even before COVID, funny enough, I did get him a private tutor that I was paying 25 pounds an hour to just to come to, because I realized that the college is just not helping him. And, and I wanted him to pass that math. And unfortunately, COVID happened. So the tutor had to stop. And then it's been graded based on something that it was virtually impossible for him to achieve, mm-hmm. you know, class attendance and things like that and participation and all sorts, which I think is discriminatory. And, I've actually called it the Sickle Society about this as well, because I wanted to find out and say, are there other parents in my shoes? Can we get together and possibly write the government or do something to say the COVID discriminated against a certain type of people? This marking that was done just CSE has discriminated against certain people. Because I can imagine children with sickle cell out there who maybe missed a lot of secondary school as well because of one thing or the other, mm-hmm. or I've had a, a hard time catching up in school. They had to say GCSE this year and they couldn't because of COVID. I can imagine that this has discriminated against them as well. And so, it's raised a lot of mental health issues for the young ones as well. Yeah. This has really affected him, like you said, because he just looked at me one day and said, Mom, they just make me feel stupid now. And I just feel like I can never pass math. And I said, no, you can. Remember, when you sat your SATs in primary school, you had one of the best results for maths. And when you went into secondary school, you were predicted a seven in math until this happened and what, in And so, what subject does your son want to study in university? He wants to do games design in university. So at the moment, he's so doing So he, he requires maths for that. He does need maths. But if you haven't done much of year nine, year 10, year 11, you've missed so much math, so much math. And unfortunately, unlike English, math is not something that you catch up so easily with. You need dedicated teaching. Do you have any advice that you might want to give other parents from your experience? One one thing I would say to other parents, which was the mistake I made, do not leave your child's education to teachers, don't trust teachers with your child. No, you, you you have to. I think okay. it's 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 something that parents often take for granted that teachers yeah. know it all. But yeah. I think like I said, day, especially we that came from Nigeria, yeah, you always think teachers or know even it any all. other African country. 
yeah exactly it's about it's not even about teaching alone your education your health your work your mental nothing you don't leave anything to anybody else because they have their own problems as well at the end of the day doctors nurses teachers pastors do a great job but no one is infallible your child is your responsibility you are the architect of your own fortune. Exactly. Don't trust that your, the teachers of your children are really looking out for your children at all times. Don't get me wrong. There are very good teachers out there, really good teachers out there. But don't trust, the, should I say, not even teachers, the school. Don't just trust the school that they're doing the best for your child. Don't. You need to get in there. You need to, you need to demand to see what they're actually doing. You need to think about it that this thing, this whatever they've put in place, does this really help my child? Does it help the school? Does it help the school to just tick a box to say, oh yeah, we're providing support. Yeah, or is it really helping your child? Because for me, sending my work home, which, because I was so overwhelmed with everything that was going on then, I didn't think much about it, was not helping him. That was just for them to mark a box to say, oh yes, we actually support him. But it wasn't helping him. They were sending him, and it wasn't all the time they were sending it to him. And then they came when it was in year 11. Somebody came from the GCS, from GCS at the board of exams and told me and said, had a meeting with me on school and said, to be very frank, the person that registered them for GCSE and said, I don't think your son should do, do, do GCSE because I've gone through his records. I've gone through everything. He's barely been in school the last three years. I don't think he should be doing GCSEs because if he does them and he fails them, that might discourage him, mm. you know? But I had a chat with my son and he said, no, he wants to do some GCSEs. So he did just four subjects. He did maths, English, art and media because he loved art and media. And because art and media involved a lot of coursework. And his teachers in school assured him that they were going to support him because he was very, very good at those two subjects. That he should be able to get at least a C. No, he didn't. He got, he got a D and he was very, very upset. He really upset him. And he kept thinking, how could I have got a D? I put in every effort I could. But just like we're saying now, when he was in hospital and he missed some deadlines, nothing was put in place for him for, to, to replace that deadline. He was just told, oh, sorry, the deadline has passed. We can't submit anything anymore on your behalf. So it still boils down to the fact that him being hospitalized and being in pain constantly, having a tough time with sickle cell impacted negatively on his education. So with all those kind of things, he ended up not passing it. He contributed to his depression because it was like, I'm sure he just felt useless. He just felt like, so it's been really tough for him. You know, when you're a mother to a child, Going through all that, yeah, you feel their pain, you. You, yeah, you feel their pain, and you have to constantly encourage them. So, I have to constantly encourage my son to say, See, you're not stupid, you are not, it's you're not useless, you're intelligent, and he is. My son is very intelligent. I said, It's just unfortunate sometimes he does feel down because he looks at his brothers and his sister and is thinking. If I didn't have sickle cell, you know, I could have everything they have. I could move easily through school like them and, and things like that. 
Well, that's one thing past. you really, really need to educate him on that it is not his fault. It is nothing he has oh, done. Oh, no, I tell him that. He shouldn't him that blame himself for anything. Yeah. No, I no, I tell him that it is. I don't think it blames himself as more that it just blames the illness. You know yes. that it's because of the illness that, and like I said, that was because in the past as well. I think between when he was fourteen to eighteen, he had a really, really bad time of sickle cell. I I don't know why. I know some people say at that teenage age it can be really bad, but over that period of fourteen to eighteen. He had it really, really bad. He had AV, he had osteomyelitis, he had all sorts. It was just one thing or the other, another would come on top of it. So he really had a hard time of it. Add that, add that to the stress of school, the distress of being misunderstood, not giving the right support. And, and at a point, I would admit as a parent, you're not looking to, and I think that was one of the places I went wrong. At a point, I wasn't too concerned about school. I was just, too, I was just concerned about surviving. So I was like, do you know what? School can wait. It is somebody who is healthy and alive that will go to school anyway. And so I took my eye off of the ball for a while for school. I missed the whole I, semester of university yeah. due to sickle cell. Imagine Back in that. Nigeria, a whole semester, I think. Wow. Yeah, due you to know? sickle cell. And I remember going back to the university at that age, and yeah. my le- some of the lectures were just like, people that are here for all yeah. the lectures, they're not even thinking of passing this course. So wow. how do you think you're going to pass? Wow. And I said, I've been studying at home, sir. I, I couldn't write the test. I missed out on writing the test, wow. writing class assessment and all that. So I understand what your son is going through. Yeah, I totally understand. So it is difficult, but it's just something that you need to persevere at and you need to just encourage him. Yeah. Just keep counseling him. And if he needs professional counseling, I think sometimes you just need to put your feet down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You need Mm -hmm. to say, look, I'm just a mother. Yeah. This is a bit too much for me to handle alone. It's not too much for you, so to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You need Mm -hmm. professional help. So mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. you just need to ask for that professional help and take yeah. it when it's available. Like yeah. Yeah. there are psychologists and child yeah. psychologists that they would be able to understand where he's at and they will yeah. be able to talk to him at a different level from the level you operate. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. So yeah, it's been tough, but and it's, it's not just me. We all have to do what we can. Yes, parents, parents yeah. Know? But I think I think for me, it's this what I just want to get out to other parents with this interview is don't leave the educational development of your children. Don't trust the school 100%. Don't think that they are always there looking out for your kids. You have to do it. And I know how easy it is to take your eye off the ball because you have so much, especially for people like myself, when you're a lone parent trying to struggle with three kids. I wanted to ask about you being a lone parent has that yes. got to do with your child having sickle cell? No, 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 no. It had nothing to do with my child okay. having sickle cell. It was something else, yeah. Do you have support from other family members? Well, I, I, it's, be, it's, be, it's a bit better now, but then my sister lives in London. So, so it's, it's not, quite far. <laughs> yeah, it's quite far. So <laughs> I can't just walk across the road and say. So it's yeah. difficult. It is, it is, it is. And I've tried, I've tried to be part of different 
parent groups over the years, Manchester, lots of things like this, just to support each other. Mm. But then I, I understand how hard it is when you yourself are barely managing to together to say you want to support other person. I understand how hard that is. But, but I really think these sickle cell parents, we need a lot of support that we're not getting, you know? And, and I think that is something the sickle cell society and the sickle cell centers need to, you know, we, we do need support, especially when you've got other kids and they're all young. There were so many times when my son was in hospital as a child and I'll be in hospital with the other kids, you know, because there was nowhere to leave them. And I remember very well, my youngest one, we'd be running around the ward wearing just pampas because there was nowhere <laughs> to put her. And Joseph used to ask me, is there nobody else that can take this child? And I'll say, no, there's no one. Knowing what you now know, would you have done things differently? It's hard. Like I said, in retro retrospect, I can see how that affected her growing up because she started to see things that she shouldn't have seen too early in life, you know, and it's not very good for a child because it's had a real massive effect on her. And that's something else as parents we don't think about is it's affecting their siblings because at the end of the day, they have their own lives as well. We shouldn't make them feel guilty or feel like they're responsible for their brother or sister. No. Because they are not. They're, they're not. not. No one is responsible for having sickle cell other than yeah, exactly. genetics and the blood. <laughs> exactly. In as much as they love their brother or their sister, they also have their own lives. And, and I know, especially from our culture, we might look at that as being selfish. They're not. It's just, it's just like they're not responsible for their brothers and sisters. And they're not the parent. They can help. It's just finding that balance, really. It's finding the balance so that they can live their own lives while supporting their brothers and sisters. And they shouldn't ever be made to feel guilty that they are enjoying their own lives because I've seen how it is. And, and I've, I said to my daughter now, yes, I am responsible for your brother. I'm his mother. You are not. So it's, I'm not expecting you to. Yeah. So it's nice that you support your brother and you understand what he's going through. And she does. She does help him. So if he's in pain and he can't get something, she'll go get things for him. She'll help him pick up things. She'll help him do things. She'll help him make food sometimes. But I always say to her, thank you. I appreciate that because that is not your job. So <laughs> do it. You're doing it because you love your brother and I appreciate you know. So She doesn't have to be his carer. No, she doesn't have to. She doesn't have to. And I think as parents, sometimes, we are guilty of that. We turn our other children into carers un unconsciously. We turn them yeah. into carers, you know, and we make them feel guilty if they're not doing as much as we think they should. Yes. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. Because at the end of the day, they love their, their brother or their sister and they will help. And they can become very, actually, they can be very protective of them as well. You know? But it's something that develops naturally that we don't, we shouldn't force or, as a parent, that's one of the other things that I think we need to look out for, not to get into that place where we kind of pushing too much responsibility on the other siblings. Mm -hmm. you know? so, it's not only black parents, you know. I've seen it happen. No, I'm with, not, I, no, I know it's not. Yeah. No, definitely. Not. No, yeah. I'm not even saying it's, it's it about black just, parents. Yeah, it's, it's just yeah. parents. It's just the way yeah. it is naturally. Naturally, you tend to empathize with your siblings, when they're yeah. in pain, you just want yeah. to take away the pain. If you could do anything to ease that pain, you just want to yeah. do that. So on a last note, what are the lessons you've learned 
What message would you like to pass on to parents of children living with sickle cell? What I've learned as a parent is that you need to listen to your child. If you've been with somebody, for me, it's been 18, over 18 years. If you've seen a child, you've been with a child and you've watched them, how they react in pain, you've watched what they've gone through, there's a tendency to begin to think that you can speak for them. So at a certain point, parents need to step back and let the children speak for themselves. Because one lesson I've learned is watching somebody in pain, but I started to see that I needed to let my son speak for himself. I can't speak for him. Because one, I found out when it was about 10, 11, that people with sickle cell have a very high threshold of pain. So even when he's sitting down there, not looking like it's in a lot of pain. It might actually be in a lot of pain. pain. I can't speak for you. I can't say, oh, just like you've said, you need to let them speak and you need to encourage them to start knowing their own bodies that they can tell you and say, I don't need to go to hospital for this. Or no, I need the hospital now. They tell you I need the hospital now. Don't try and second guess them and think, oh, no, but you you don't look too bad or whatever. (laughs) Get them to the hospital now. Those are the things I have learned. And I'm saying this for parents, especially when children are getting to a certain age that they start to assert their independence. And I know it's very tough for us to let go because we want to protect them. We kind of speak for them and things like that. You can't. You need to let them speak. And that leads me to another lesson I've learned. Be on guard in hospitals. That is one of the things that pains me now as an adult, because he's an adult now. Nobody asks for my opinion anymore. He's regarded as <laughs> an adult in hospitals. And sometimes, because he's on a male ward, I can't stay there for too long. It really pains me. Because when he was a child, I could pull up a bed and sleep in hospital. I never used to understand it when adult sickle cell patients would tell me, uh, tell me some things, but I get it now. Because when they are children and they're in pain and they're out of it, and they can't defend themselves or talk for themselves. The parent is there to fight for to them. To speak for them, yeah. To speak for them. But now that he's an adult, and I'm not even allowed in, how does he speak for himself? And I'll give you an example. When COVID started and he was in ICU, he was feeling very ill and he said, Mom, I think I need to go to the hospital. So I knew because of COVID, they wouldn't let me into the hospital, so I called the ambulance. The ambulance guy, the paramedic that came was actually very, very nice. It was like, he's sickle cell. Oh no, this is very serious. And they got him to the hospital very quickly. I would tell you that they left him. They left my son for three days. No food, just doped up on morphine for three days without any substantial treatment. They didn't let me come into the hospital and I will come in and drop because they said I can't come in. By the second day, I was like, I'm worried. He needs to eat because I know my son, he doesn't like hospital food, especially when he's in pain. Food for him. They said, yes, bring food. I brought food the second day, came back the third day. Can I take the plates in there? Open the plates. All the food were in the plate. Nothing had been eaten. No, because nobody bothered to say, to pay attention to say, can you try and eat? Nobody. He was in pain. He was in a lot of pain. He was doped up. By the third day, I went into the hospital and I was saying, I am not leaving if you don't let me see my son. <laughs> I am not leaving. I insisted and I, and I packed myself there and I sat in the hospital. There was nobody around because of COVID. I had my mask on and I said, I am not leaving. I need to see my son. I brought some food 
Finally, they let me come in. I went in to see him, sat at his bed. My son looked at me and said, are you here or am I hallucinating? That is how bad. They did nothing for three days. When I asked them and I said, this boy is having a chest crisis. What are you going to do? By now, he should have been on antibiotics. Antibiotics. Have been on that. Nothing. They said, oh, we are waiting for the result of the COVID test. Has COVID first before we can decide the treatment. But I said, are you, are you guys having a laugh? You want to kill somebody? I suppose that's one of the reasons why the COVID death figures were high at the time. So many people were left untreated for the different illnesses they had. Can you imagine somebody being in hospital, not having treatment for three days? No, they died of something else. That was, I'm telling you, this, a lot of people died not because of COVID. They just wrote suspected COVID. They suspected died with COVID. COVID. They, they weren't actually diagnosed with COVID. That's why they put suspected COVID. Of course, you know, just you imagine very... your son not having a high pain threshold. Yeah, because the symptoms and being of in COVID that are level of pain and ignored, abandoned. Three days, three days, I'm telling you. The ambulance picked him on Sunday. This day I'm talking about to you was, I think it was a Wednesday morning. In fact, that's more than three days, isn't it? Monday, Tuesday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's four days, yeah. actually. So I went in there and I said, no way. Fortunately, while I was there, they said, oh, the result of the COVID came back is negative. I said, but I told you this. When he went in, came in on Sunday that he doesn't have COVID, they said, oh, well, we have to be sure first. And you know, this was the start of COVID. This was, he went in the hospital March 28th. So this was at the very start of COVID where it used to take three days. They left him. When they now said, oh, it's not COVID, it's definitely chest crisis. He was not in a really bad, it was just God that watched over him that I didn't lose it. That's in a really bad state. That was when they rushed him into ICU. And that day they did him a blood exchange. They had to do a blood exchange. He couldn't talk. He was in so much pain. He couldn't talk for himself. He couldn't fight for himself. If he had been when he was a child, I know even with COVID, maybe they wouldn't let me come in. But, you know, because he was an adult, nobody was even bothering to call me to say this is what is going on and they'll be like oh yeah we've got his permission and i'm thinking what permission and when i asked my son he said honestly can't remember what happened those two three uh, three four days it was no when you're in that kind of pain you don't even remember when you have a chest crisis it's horrible he said he can't tell me what happened that he knows that sometimes he will see nurses standing by his bed that he can't tell me this is what they gave him or if they gave him any medicine, he can't tell me. He doesn't know. That's doesn't because remember. he doesn't even remember. And that is, that is one thing that frightens me about being an adult at that age, about being regarded as an adult at that mm. Because it's just, I'm telling you, it's a very... How is he coping in uh, college now? No, he's all right now. Is he still... Right Okay, he's still studying from home now, actually. Yes, he's still studying oh, yeah. from home, yes. So, he's so at least you've, you've got him on the... You watch... Yeah. So they took him into ICU and they were going to do an exchange. They couldn't get a line. The veins would have gone at that. Would have, exactly. Without, exactly. Without food, without exactly. water, without anything without for three days, for the three veins days. collapsed. Yeah, they couldn't get anything. So at a point, he was screaming and said, I want my mother. I want my mother. Nurse doctors were saying rubbish to him. Like, oh, if we don't get this, you're going to die. So I came into hospital and the first thing I did was warn the doctor and said, don't, please don't ever say that to my son. Don't pronounce negative words over my son. Don't say that to my son. 
and, and I don't think the doctor liked it, but I, at that point, I just didn't care because I was so frustrated and I was, and so they let me into ICU, even though the ICU was filled with COVID people, <laughs> they let me in because my son says, you've punctured my, my hips or tights two times. You've put all sorts in my hand. You can't find the veins. I want my mother. So I had to go in and I had to go sit with him and Finally, they got a lining through his neck. That was how we did the blood exchange, through his neck. And I had to say, you guys are going to have to give him some anesthesis and knock him out a bit. I don't see how you're going to go through his neck with him completely awake. It's not going to be funny. But that was because I was finally able to come in and speak for him. Imagine if I hadn't been able to go in. Please imagine the situation. And this is what frightens me about children moving on too quickly to adult world. And that is something parents need to be aware of. It can be frightening. And, and with this COVID situation, I mean, relatives mm-hmm. are not allowed to be with them. And then that's your child there, completely knocked out, in pain, not even knowing what is going on. When he saw me, he thought it was hallucinating. He didn't believe I was standing there. That was how bad he had gotten. There's a lot for parents to deal with, I'm, I'm telling you. And I know so many other parents would have dealt with some of these things I'm saying. It's, it's a lot for a parent to deal with. And we don't have as much support as we should have, which is, which is painful. And which I is- think actually you, you need counseling yourself because yeah. it's a lot for you to deal with. Well, you don't get that as uh, That's another thing parents of people with sickle cell don't get. Somebody once told me that they found that a lot of people with sickle cell and their parents suffer from post-traumatic stress. Yeah. And I said, well, I won't be surprised. To be honest, the experience you've had is a bit unfair um, yeah. with work, with the support you had for him. And yeah. I think there is a lot that needs to be done. There is. Uh... So this is why we need to raise this awareness about sickle cell and how it impacts on people how it impacts on families, how yes. people just don't even get the support they need. Yeah, that's the thing. Yes, it's it's just something. So really, like you said, let's keep raising awareness of this. Maybe doctors and people, I don't know who, we start taking uh, notes to say, do you know what, this community needs more support than we provide for yeah, them. Exactly. They're not getting the right support. We, we don't not... get the right support. We don't get the right light level of care. Yeah. You have nurses that are not actually trained to handle sickle cell patients or even hematology specialist nurses. Yeah. They are not sickle cell nurses. They're just general nurses. And exactly. they don't understand sickle cell. So right. The first question I ask is, God forbid, let's even say it was COVID. For a sickle cell patient, who you should have realized that the first thing is let's even get him a, the care a, blood, he needs. a blood transfusion or an extra and, so that we can give or him even a, an antibiotic to boost his immunity, please, so that he has a fighting chance to even fight the COVID. Yeah, but when his body is already weakened, how is he going to fight it? Because for a sickle cell patient, it's not just about. Oh, let's put him on a ventilator or whatever they do no. with other people. It has to have enough red blood cells to even fight. Exactly. <laughs> and so most it, of it, us, because we've already lost this discipline, the organ exactly. that fights know? infections, that's why we're always on antibiotics. And at a point, 
Antibiotics, body sometimes develops resistance, particular antibiotics. Of course. And of then course. it doesn't work anymore. Of course. And that was when I realized that, oh, I now know why so many people died. They didn't yes, die of COVID. Because imagine if that was like a heart failure and you left somebody for three days and say, we can't treat him until his COVID test came, comes back. He will be dead in 43 days. He will be days. dead by then. Even him, if not for God, he could have been dead. And then they would have put, God forbid, on the thing and said COVID, COVID-related death like or COVID said. You know, if for somebody who never had COVID. I am so happy for you. I'm uh, grateful that you are able to share all of this. And it's something that a lot of uh, parents need to be able to do sharing their stories, because the more we share these stories, the more people are educated about what we go through, what happens with sickle cell. Mm -hmm. I imagine you you had to change your career. Your son was never even given the support he needed for college. I mean, it's just- You have problems in hospital. In hospitals that you think you should have all the support Mm -hmm. or that you know it, you get to some hospitals and you're the one telling the doctors what you did, what, what you did them to do. Oh, yeah. Education, not much support. They want to treat you like everyone else. Don't recognize that. Sickle cell has its own unique problem. It's and not even about sickle cell having unique problems. Each person's exactly. care plan is different you know? from your no, you care know, plan. I mean, I, mean, I mean things like if a, a sickle cell child misses school, you can't tell them to come to catch up class at 7 p.m. No. Little things like that, which would be common to a lot of them. They're already exhausted from being in, in, in college nine yeah. to five. And then you want them to stay back to do a seven o'clock catch. You catch know? up. Or you tell them, you catch up, sorry. Or you tell them, that maybe they go to college three days of a week, which is already exhausting. And you tell them to come in an additional day for catch-ups. That's not going to work. For example, well, I'm grateful now that they've allowed him to be a home student online. And these were things I suggested before. Online support for maybe people with sickle cell so that mm. they can constantly, even when there was no COVID and classes, mm. that's a way for them to catch up things and record videos of classes so that they can listen to it. I remember when my son started college, I said to them, I said, sometimes his finger swells and he can't write. Can he please bring his own laptop? He's got a laptop. Can he please bring his own laptop to a college or can he record uh, lectures? And they say, oh, no, we don't allow that. Because when people are on on laptops, they start to go to Facebook and play around. But in social media, he doesn't like social media like that. Maybe he chats with his cousins on on IG, Instagram. Apart from that, he doesn't do Facebook. He doesn't even have, he doesn't even like WhatsApp. I forced him to download it so that I can send him some things sometimes. But he won't even go on it. And I said, no, he's not interested in things like that. Because I got him some software on his laptop to make life easy. I said, he's got all that to support him. Can't allow that. Okay, can you come and record classes so that I can go back up and listen to them? Because if he's in pain and he misses out half of what you're saying, he can go back and listen to them. Oh, no, it can't allow him to record lectures. I've heard that is a lot of colleges, to be honest. I'm sure they're being careful and thinking. If you record your tutors, they don't know what you're recording. What if you use it against them in future or something? I don't know. But those are the little you know, data protection. I, say, well, I mean, data protection yeah. laws are there, but it's you know? supposed to be used within reasonable um, limits. The tutor himself can record his own classes, isn't it? Yeah. If you don't want the student and send it out, like you have all these bad sizes and 
on whatever for GCSE. Yeah, you can record it and send it to your students while you're in class and send it to your students to read over and things like that. But that's what I mean by students, schools have to recognize that sickle cell students have their own unique ways. You can't just support them like every other person. And they learn at a different pace. Exactly. They learn at a different pace. How many, how many, I remember when I was a teacher, I met a young lady who had sickle cell and it wasn't until I got to that college that she had a lot of the support she finally got. Because when I came in and I met her and she started telling me how she's been struggling in college, I just went to the head of learning services and said, no, do you understand what sickle cell is? And she didn't, she had no clue. Yeah, they don't understand. I had to educate her and she was quite nice. She was like, do you know what? I'm so glad that you came and told me me. all this because I didn't understand it. When I'm talking to the student, I can't see. I just thought maybe they were being frivolous or they were just asking for things unnecessarily. First thing should have given her when she came into college is a lift pass because you expect her to be climbing how many stories every day, the classes, and then she has to come down for lunch and then go back up. You know, you have different classes on different levels and she's up and down, up and down every day. I said, you are killing her, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, 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 and the tutor was like, she's so glad I came to talk to her because she didn't realize that. And I said, she needs to be able to like get up in class and even just go out and stretch her legs if she wants to, or if her back is aching and she thinks that. Because she said, sometimes her back is aching and she stands in class. And teachers get mad at her that, you know, she's being disruptive. And I said, no, if that's what she needs, let her do it. She should be able to get up in class and go to the back of the class and stand up if that is what she needs for a while. And then go back to sitting. And if she needs a different chair, college should be able to provide that. That's what is called reasonable adjustment. Mm -hmm. You know, provide a more ergonomic chair for her if that's what is needed. So these are little, little things that college don't know. They just don't. They don't get that when the kids have missed school, nobody says, oh, okay, you've missed all this. How do we help you catch up and teach you what you've missed? Mm. They just expect them to come in and jump in and continue. For somebody who misses classes, maybe once a year or once a term, that might not be too bad. But for a sickle cell child who is constantly missing school, that is just not good enough. That is not good enough. So, yeah. I really appreciate your time today. And I really appreciate you coming to share your story. It's been insightful. And I hope a lot of people will learn from this. And there might be changes that would come from this podcast. I hope so. Hopefully, I hope so. yeah. Uh, we, I mean, I so. it's heard I everywhere. So. so hopefully somebody would so. hear and uh, make changes and we will keep sharing this podcast we keep sharing these stories until something happens we just push and keep going at it Uh, if there's if there's any last thing i would like to say to parents please do not keep quiet over your children in schools in hospitals please do not keep quiet even if they think you're crazy please do not keep quiet Keep, keep going in there keep talking to people speak up don't keep quiet please I well, wish... thank, thank you for all you're doing. You know, it's this is a really great work you're doing, getting the word out there. Oh, thank you. Know. you. So it's thank a... you so very I much. I appreciate it. Well, I know it has been an emotional session, but I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Nike Ajene. She has shared a story 
and that of her son who is living with sickle cell disorder. And the story she has shared today is representative of a thousand other parents with children living with sickle cell disorder. She has had to make sacrifices, had to make career choices that were not actually a choice for something she needed to do in order to be able to provide care for a child living with sickle cell. But I feel the society needs to understand how sickle cell impacts on people. I feel the society needs to do more. I feel the society needs to be informed about the effects of sickle cell on us as patients. And that is why I started this podcast. So thank you for listening today. Keep sharing, keep downloading, and keep liking. Thank you. A big thank you to all our listeners who have been sending us messages through the message link. I would like to thank everyone who has listened in so far and contributed to this podcast. Thank you so much. We couldn't have done anything without you. Keep listening, keep sharing, keep downloading, and keep liking. Thank you again.